The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. He had a home on a beautiful piece of property. It was farmland that stretched over many acres, and he just, he just loved being on it. He loved looking at it. This particular piece of farmland had been in his family for multiple generations, and you know, the old saying is they don't make any more dirt, and his particular parcel of it meant everything to him. I mean, farming life can be a hard life, but he was a proud man, and he was happy to be raising his family in the way and with the values that, that he'd been raised and that his father and his father's father had been raised. The trouble with farming, though, sometimes is that you can be really uh, asset-rich and cash-poor. Right? Your, your whole livelihood's out there in the fields, and you're waiting, you're praying, you're hoping that the harvest is going to come in the way you planned on it, because if, if a crop fails, you can fall hard. That's what had happened to him two years prior. It was the wheat harvest. He lost almost all of it. Well, what can you do? I mean, you tighten the belt a notch and you, and you work for the next harvest and pray, pray that that one comes in the way you need it to. But that spring, the barley, the barley failed too. That's when the, he started mounting up debts because you still had bills to pay. You had to borrow money to do it. So by this day, when the wheat harvest failed again, it couldn't have happened at a worse time. I mean, none at this point. There wasn't, he couldn't raise capital. Nobody was giving out loans. So here you are with nothing but debts, no ability to get capital, and your livelihood lost in a third failed harvest. He racked his brain trying to think of anything else he could do, but finally, out of options, he, he finally had to do it. He, he had to sell his ancestral home. When he looked out at that land for the last time and took a step off of what used to be his, he was walking with a heart full of regrets, right? I, thinking about, you know, if I knew now, if I knew then what I know now, what, what would I have done differently? What might I have tried differently? But walking away with a heart full of disappointments and, and a heart full of regrets, too. That's a story that well, we feel familiar with, not because we're farmers, not because we've ever watched a crop fail, but we feel familiar with that story because I'm sure each one of us here has watched some part of our life crumble, and you feel that desperation of, how can I fix this? Maybe it crumbled because you made some really bad decisions, or maybe it it crumbled because life just happened that way. I don't know, maybe it's your kids or your marriage or your health. But we know the feeling of looking at a life that for whatever reason is just not what it was meant to be and the feeling of having a heart full of regret and thinking if, if I knew then what I'd know now, I just wish I had a chance to do this over again. I wish I had a chance to do this and do it right. Each of us has a life that we look back. We can, we can find things we've done or words we wish we could just pull back 
and not have to live with the regret of having had that happen or done that to someone or had this happen to us. We wish sometimes that we could just have a fresh start and leave the baggage behind. You know, this man, the new chapter in his life started when he heard the sound of a trumpet. Because you see, he lived in the land of Israel, and that trumpet was the announcement that the great day of atonement had come. Now, great day of atonement was a way that God had his people act out in ways in their, in their religion and in their life, in ways that were meant to be writ large, God's plan for what he was going to do for them in his redemptive covenant with them, right? So he would have them do things to remind them of God's plan for his people. One of them was this thing called the, the Great Day of Atonement. So one day a year, it would be kind of a weird thing, the people would all gather and the high priest would take a goat and he would symbolically place the sins of the people of Israel on this goat and then the goat was chased off into the desert to die somewhere. That's where you get the term in English, a scapegoat, right? Somebody who didn't do anything wrong, but they take, the, they take all, the, uh, all the blame for it. That comes from this account, that you would chase the scapegoat out into the wilderness. And this day was meant to teach God's people about what God had planned to do about them and their sins. It was, uh, it was meant to teach God's people year after year that when it comes to God and our sins, sometimes we can have, well, we can kind of have some misconceptions about it. And the Day of Atonement was meant to clear those misconceptions up. So atonement, that's a word that just means uh, what it takes to make us at one again with God. That's what atonement means, right? What it takes to make things right again between sinful people and a holy God. And the Day of Atonement helps us not make a mistake when we consider God's grace. Because, you know, sometimes I think it's easy for us to have a, a wrong understanding of grace, especially if we think God's forgiveness or grace, it's kind of like, like a mulligan. You know what a mulligan is if you're a golfer? Um, see, I'm a bad golfer, and so when amateurs play golf and I'm on the tee and I shank one off into the woods, there's usually some kind person probably from the congregation, and they say, oh, just hit another one. Hit another one. Take a mulligan. Pretend like that didn't count. Just do it over right? Um, we sometimes can maybe be caught up in thinking that God's grace is like a mulligan. God says, oh, don't worry about it. Just, just do it again. We'd be grossly misunderstanding that, right? Mulligans all, the only thing a mulligan means is it shows you that the game being played has no importance whatsoever, right? If you're giving mulligans, this game doesn't really matter. There are no mulligans at the Masters, for example. There's not going to be any mulligans or do-overs at the Super Bowl in a few weeks. Um, when the game matters, you don't, you don't get mulligans. And, and God's grace, uh, God's grace is not a mulligan. It's not a do-over. We sometimes forget just how holy our God is and how sinful we are. And treating God's grace like that cheapens it. Cheapens it. Because we... We have to understand just, just how God exactly feels about the sin that's in my life. It's not that God's not a little, oh, I'm a little concerned about it. I was going to speak to you about it, but, you know, don't worry about it. Try again. That's not God's attitude towards the sin in my life. He hates my sin. God's called on me to be holy. And he says sin's got absolutely no place with the people of God. And the sin in my life angers God. And he says it must be punished. 
we have to understand how holy our God is and how sinful we are to be able to understand the true nature of the atonement that he promises us. Because, see, God's grace isn't about mulligans, but it is about atonement, about that thing that has to happen to make us at one again with God. Right? And God's plan for this in the Bible is that God said, my sin has got to be punished. He's not like a kindly old grandfather who doesn't really worry about sin. He says, my sin must be punished, but like that picture of the scapegoat, God said he would punish someone else in my place, that he would send his son and put on him all the failures and faults of John Schrader, and then he would punish Jesus with all the hell that I deserved. But because he did, that means every one of my sins, every one of your sins has been paid in full. It's not that God just says we're gonna ignore it. No, it's been paid in full every bit. So that's why he can promise that your sin is forgiven, your guilt is gone, and that when he looks at you, he says, I've forgiven your wickedness, and I can remember your sin no more. That's not a mulligan. That is a fresh start. A fresh start. When that man heard the trumpet blast, the great day of atonement this year was a special one. See, God told his people, uh, Every year, celebrate the Great Day of Atonement. But seven is a big number that God likes in the Bible. You know, seven days in a week. And he, wants, he says, you know, after seven sets of sevens, after 49 years, seven sets of seven of the Great Day of Atonement, on the 50th one, every 50 years, it's a special year. He called it the year of the Lord's favor, or the year of jubilee. So every 50 years... The trumpet would ring out at, from the temple on the great day of atonement, and a new year would start, the year of the Lord's favor. And this is an amazing thing. Uh, in the year of the Lord's favor, when that trumpet blast happened, every debt in Israel was canceled. Gone. If you had had to indenture yourself, like you ran out of money and you sold yourself as a slave to someone, every slave in Israel was set free. And everyone got their family farm back went back to the original family, right? So if someone bought your farm during, in Israel, they knew that when the year of Jubilee came, when the year of the Lord's favor came, they'd have to give it back because the God of Israel is a God of mercy, a God of atonement, a God of grace. He's a God of fresh starts and clear consciences, a God who wipes the slate clean. The year of the Lord's favor. All right, so that's the picture that's in the mind of all these people in Nazareth when this young rabbi walks up to the front of the synagogue, sits down, opens the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus had come to blow the trumpet and announce a new jubilee, not one of land and slaves, but one of sin and salvation. Jesus said, all those 50th years, all those years of jubilee pointed to me to this day when the Son of God would come in the flesh to show exactly what God's plan is to deal with sin and sinful people, to atone for it all in the flesh and blood of his own Son. 
So Jesus said, I'm here to preach the good news to the poor in spirit who are afflicted with their guilt and their wishes that they had never done the things they'd done. I'm here to proclaim the good news and freedom for people who keep falling into that sin and wondering why they just, they just can't leave it be. He came to proclaim release from the darkness so that people like you and me can see this world as God really intends it in the light of his love. Jesus said, I am here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How can God be that gracious? He said, I am the sacrifice. I am the scapegoat. I am your fresh start. I am your savior. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. See, God tells us the story of Israel because he wants us to see our story in it. In Israel, your ancestral land, it could not be taken away from you forever because you were one of God's children and your place was here inside the people of God and inside of God's land. Do you see how God wants you to see your story there? There is nothing that can take away the place that God has set aside for you in his kingdom. No sin, no guilt, no failure. Because Jesus has come and proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. The year when there are fresh starts, clear consciences, and everyone gets the place meant for them in the people of God. That's a freedom that Jesus calls you to. He frees us from our past, right? We, we carry around all this guilt and regret and these thoughts of, I wish I could do these things better. And Jesus calls us today that he blows the trumpet and says, there's no time for that anymore. I've opened the prison door and let you out. You don't have to stay trapped in your past because I've taken it all. You don't have to drag that baggage along because I dragged it all to my cross. You don't have to try to make your bargains with God because I paid for everything for you. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is, that is a transformative call, isn't it? That God calls on us to leave behind the darkness, the baggage, the guilt, and to live in this new light of God's love. And then, then he invites us to proclaim that same year of the Lord's favor to other people. Because, you know, when we finally understand the, the magnitude of God's forgiveness, when we finally give up the idea that God's grace is something like a mulligan, but instead was this deep act of atonement where God gives back to us the family farm, the place that we have in the kingdom of God for no other reason that he is gracious and his son died for us. That, that transforms us into people who want to proclaim that same favor to everybody around us. And God calls on you to forgive the people around you just like he's forgiven you. Yeah, that kind of forgiveness, it might feel a little reckless if you forgive like God. Because, you know, uh, people might have hurt you. And uh, they might have never said they were sorry. In fact, they might hurt you over and over again. And maybe they don't even seem to act like they understand that what they're doing is wrong. And forgiving somebody like that seems a little reckless. Of course, it also seems exactly like how God forgave you. Wildly, recklessly, 
graciously. Can you forgive somebody who never said they were sorry? <laughs> yeah, you sure can, because forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's about the love that God's poured into your heart and his invitation to you not to live in the prison of the past or to lock the people around you into the prison of the past. Let it go. Let it go exactly where it belongs, to the cross of Jesus, who proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. When you do that, you're, you're not giving somebody a mulligan. No, you're giving them grace. That's a totally different thing. It's like walking out of a locked room. It's like, well, it's like that man who in the 50th year got to walk back to his ancestral farm. But this time, when he stood on that land, his debts were canceled, his service was over, because this is the kind of God that Israel had. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Go home tonight and blow the trumpet. Let it be a day of forgiveness, joy, and service, because this is the gift God wants to give you and everyone around you, the gift of a fresh start, a clear conscience, and a place among God's people. God grant it. Amen.